Welcome back to First Generation, a podcast for the first generation Asian Americans, Canadians, Australians, you name it. Just basically anyone who's the first generation to have been born or raised in another country. This is the third episode. And for episode three, I'm catching up with Andy, a friend from college whose story resonates a lot with me. He's the child of modest immigrant parents. So in high school, he balanced a full-time job at Panera Bread to help out his family. And he really went on to accomplish a lot for himself. NYU, Google, Harvard, just to name a few. But instead of focusing on his resume virtues today, we talk instead about how coming from a background with limited resources makes opportunities that come our way feel fragile and precious, and how it creates habits of overextending ourselves and saying yes to things that we might not want to do. We also talk about feeling like an imposter sometimes and how while our lives and resumes may look great on the outside, in reality, we're all just making stuff up as we go, trying to make the next best decision with whatever bit of wisdom we've built up. So I hope his story resonates with you and thank you so much for tuning in to episode three. I'm learning so much with every passing episode and every passing guest. I thank you wholeheartedly for your support so far. Thanks so much for making this work despite, you know, the crazy time zone difference, but I wanted to start by bragging a little bit about you. Honestly, I can't really rattle off everything that you've done, just the highlights, but you were a Gates Millennium Scholar, which is a program funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So that funded your undergrad at NYU, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Afterwards, you worked at Google um, after college. As if that wasn't incredible already, you moved on to Harvard for your master's of education, where again, it was funded as well, right, by your scholarship. Um, And then ever since graduating from Harvard, you've been at SY Partners, um, which for those who are listening is one of the top strategy and design consultancies. So your resume is just like jam-packed with a bunch of achievements. And I can brag about you all day, but... Based on your background and your upbringing, like, did you ever imagine this for yourself, that this would be how your life would sort of unfold? Oh, my gosh. Um, the simple answer is no. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think for a couple of reasons. One, my path um, has definitely not been linear whatsoever. And so while one might say, like you said, like there are some accolades on my resume, I often look at it and I just think like, what, what is this person trying to do? Or like <laughs> this person is like zigzagging from one thing to another. And mm-hmm. that's just like what has felt like authentic to me, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I think what feels really true is it was a lot of me just seizing whatever opportunities kind of came about. And if I felt prepared and sometimes if I didn't feel prepared, but I felt like something is drawing me to this experience and I kind of just want to give a hundred percent of myself to it. Mm-hmm. And if I go all the way back, um, neither of my parents went to college. My dad was actually a high school dropout. My sister mm-hmm. went to college. Um, but we pretty much grew up as only children were 11 years apart. And I always knew that going to college was very important. It was very much drilled into me from a very young age. And I think because I was able to jump into a place like NYU that it really broadened my perspective. I went into college, maybe unsurprisingly, like with a game plan of sorts. I knew that I wanted to major in English. I really wanted to like write or to become an author. 
And then I started to just meet so many people from various walks of life who had just different ambitions. And that actually really motivated me and I think forced me to kind of question, well, is this really what I want to do? Or is this the only thing that I want to do? I think that question mm-hmm. is is definitely something that I held a lot throughout college. And not to say that it was easy. Like I, I did have a lot of imposter syndrome my first year mm-hmm. of college. Um, but but yeah, it's been a huge series of blessings um, as, I, as I think about it. And mm-hmm. I even struggle actually sometimes. It, it's a very active struggle that I have with my dad where he'll kind of ask me like, what do you do? And I just don't have the, it's hard to describe in English because of like how non-linear my path has been. And also at least in my current company and the work I do, it is very ambiguous and it's hard to kind of really drill down. Like, what is it that SYP does? Um, And then with my dad, it's like, there's a cultural um, sort of um, challenge and then there's a, a language barrier. And so sometimes I just, I don't, I don't know what to share. And it makes me feel, I don't want to say disappointed, but it's, it's a missed opportunity because like my dad is a high school dropout and I'm living like a life. And I think many children of immigrants have this experience of I'm living a life that my family, like my parents will never really understand, but it's also like the life that like would not be possible without all of their work Mm. and all of their dedication. And, and so it it, it creates a lot of dissonance because I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm proud of this and I want you to be proud of this. But then I actually don't know how to like present it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that, if that, if that sort of is your experience as well. Yeah. I think particularly the piece you just mentioned about trying to tell your dad what exactly it is that you do, that part really resonated with me because well, one, you you sort of have to understand what it is you're doing first before you try to condense it into like one sentence or a, a few coherent sentences. So that's already like one challenge, right? And I think the point about your background being, you know, like as you're living in it, um, even though like on paper, there's so many achievements, um, incredible as they are, kind of every single step that you took felt like you were just kind of seizing the next best opportunity, right? And so how do you kind of take all of that and make sense out of it for yourself? That's the first step. And then the second step is how do I communicate this to, let's say, parents who, um, I don't know, actually, does your dad speak fluent English or is there a little bit of a gap? He does not speak fluent English. So it's mm. it's a challenge and I don't speak fluent Cantonese. Yeah. Um, so... I think the most recent like iteration of my explanation was like, I, I, I work in business, you know, like <laughs> I, I think like even like phrasing it as like consulting, um, like it, it doesn't really land as well. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it, it, it's really perplexing. And, and that point you made actually of like, I need to understand, like, I feel like I'm, I'm still in real time processing everything that's mm-hmm. happening. Um, yep. Which, which makes it hard. And it, it also reminds me of at certain like moments, like stage gates of like, let's say graduating or getting a job or what have you, getting a promotion. Sometimes I'll hear like friends or colleagues, they might say, oh, like your parents like must be so proud of you. And it, mm-hmm. it's not that they're not, but I, it, I don't have like a, a direct, it's not a direct one-to-one 
um, mm-hmm. answer. You know, I like to think that, you know, they're proud, but if I reduce it down to the most simplistic things of like, I am financially stable, I'm healthy, I'm able to like contribute and like provide for my family. I think if I'm able to do that, then like, that's kind of what matters at the end of the Mm day, regardless of maybe like the titles or things that you want to layer onto it. Mm. Yeah. I think you're for sure. Like your parents, my parents as well, I'm I'm sure they're proud, but to your point, like it's kind of, um, it's difficult for them to fully understand what it is that we do. I mean, one, because we're still trying to figure it out, but also the opportunities that they wanted us to have um, and have worked so hard for us to have are actually things that are difficult for them to fully understand and grasp as well. But I think that's kind of, um, yeah, in a way it's, it's, it's quite beautiful actually. Cause I, I try to tell my mom what it is exactly I do. And it's so far the best explanation I have is uh I would tell her, I would ask her about all the apps she sees on her phone. So Mm. I would tell her, you know, I'm not the one coding it, (laughs) but I'm the one thinking of, you know, features you can add to each app so that it makes, um, it makes the experience better for someone like you who's using it. So that's basically the closest I've gotten to explain it to her. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't really know if that's something she can naturally like just tell her friends about when she's, you know, trying to brag about what I do. But I hope, you know, I hope she, I think she kind of gets it, but yeah, there's always going to be a little bit of gap. Um, even despite the fact that I, you know, speak Cantonese and I can tell her this in Cantonese, um, because Mm. I think there's already just naturally like a, a limit of exposure, um, on her end to this type of work that we do. Um, so it's yes. not just the language, it's also the exposure to to this kind of work. Mm, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. I think that exposure kind of transcends like so many different things. It could be about work, it could be about school, but it could also just be about like other life experiences, mm-hmm. like where you live or like where you yeah. travel to. Even that in some contexts can be like a luxury and like it's just gaining knowledge about just Mm. cultures and and other ideas. Um, Yeah, it's a lot to hold and it can, you know, one conversation sometimes with my dad will make me think like of all these other sort of nuances that Mm -hmm. I don't even know where to begin um, kind Mm -hmm. of like treading into. (laughs) Yeah, I want to kind of go back to that idea of you zigzagging. Because again, like the reason why I mentioned some of your achievements earlier was fundamentally because I think I genuinely find it to be incredible. And I think um, as the freshman who um, got to know you when you were a sophomore, like I've always kind of seen you as a role model, one, because you were always just so active, not only on campus, but also you're doing like internships and, you know, joining, like you were the board of a couple of organizations. So you were always just like dipping your feet into everything. Um, And so for me, like looking at you achieve all of this, um, it's mind blowing to kind of hear you say that you're also trying to figure out um, how all of these pieces fit together. Because on the outside, it really does seem like there's a coherent story and a coherent path that you're walking. But obviously, you know, being a couple of years out of college myself, I also recognize that like, 
that's exactly how it feels like for me. It feels like a zigzagging, you know, path to trying to figure out what it is exactly I wanted to do, uh, want to do with my career or like my life <laughs> period. Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, from the eyes of other people, it might seem coherent and it might seem like, you know, there is an objective, but oftentimes in reality there, it's not as clear. Um, well, one, I'm glad that it comes off coherent. <laughs> um, I just feel like I'm making it up, you know, as I go along, like, as, as you were describing it, it almost like takes me back to moments where like, I applied for a job or if I mm. applied for a program and it's like, you're sitting at the computer screen and you're trying to make it coherent so that, you know, it reads that way. Um, but oh, it's like, yeah. you're in real time really trying to connect the dots of like, well, is there a through line? Is there a mm -hmm. theme? Or am I just like trying to rationalize something that's not really there? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I mean, if, if I if I think back, like one, just really thankful for a lot of mentorship along the way, um, because like, at least, in, in the early stages of like being a, a first gen college student, like living in a city like that I had never really been to for the first time, I had no other reference points. I didn't, I couldn't go to, I didn't have as many maybe people in my life at the time that I could say, well, help me like figure out what I should do here. Like, this is my challenge. Like, what would you do? Um, that was actually part of the work um, while trying to do well in school. And so I was able to pick up a lot of those mentors along the way. And I also think that the reason why I jumped so quickly into certain opportunities was because everything felt very precious to me because my life just really changed like overnight, um, mm. especially getting the scholarship. Like I was on the trajectory of still going to college, but maybe going to college within state, close to home. Um, maybe actually being around a lot of like my peers, like familiar faces. And then it, all of a sudden it became, oh my gosh, I can go to NYU. Like it just feels like the world truly has opened up. And it did because uh, when I got into NYU, I, I had to go to London for my freshman year. And so mm -hmm. just like the, the, the new experiences started to pile on. Um, and so I wanted to jump into things because I just thought, oh my gosh, like, when am I ever going to, I never thought I would have this opportunity. So I feel like I have to make the most of it. Um, and I think the shadow side to that approach was that I did kind of like overextend myself multiple times and I maybe wasn't focusing enough on, you know, my mental health or, or even just like having time to process of like, okay, I just did something brand new. What did that feel like? What do I still want to learn? Um, and also what didn't feel so great or what was challenging and like, how can that inform what I do next? So for a while it was, everything was kind of cobbled together. It's not as though I was really jumping into the next experience wiser. I think it really mm -hmm. took me until post-grad to actually start to develop some of that wisdom so that I could better decide, actually, like, I'm going to say no to this. And I know that that's the right thing for me. Mm. Yeah, let's dive into the years after you graduated, right? Because I think based on what you said, in your college days, you were just trying to maximize your time there because of this awareness that, you know, this opportunity, maybe it might have felt very fragile to you, mm -hmm. right? Like this is something that is hard earned, but because of the newness and the lack of, you know, role models before you either within your family or within your community like maybe it didn't feel it, it might have felt like it could be 
kind of taken away at any moment. So you kind of have to maximize mm. everything you got. Um, yep. So hearing that definitely puts into perspective the, the reasons why you kind of were so active uh, on campus and outside of campus um, when we were at NYU together. But in those years after college, um, because you've actually, so you've worked at Google first, and then you went to your master, do your master's. So I'm mm -hmm. just wondering in those first two to three years, I think you were at Google for two years, mm -hmm, like two and a half Did years, you, yeah, almost two and a half years. Did you what was kind of the biggest learning for you during that time, obviously outside of the day to day work that you were doing? Mm. I'm, I'm trying to take myself back to that time because again it was it was a it was kind of like college where it was a series of new experiences i moved from new york to san francisco again i felt so privileged to have this to have this job and yes it was google and it was great but as i tell people now like I was very like, I was at the very bottom of the ladder. It was the most entry level position. <laughs> I was a recruiting coordinator. You know, like my job was like to schedule like interviews for people. Mm -hmm. And a, a couple things that surfaced for me are because it felt like the beginning of a career, I guess, even though I had worked throughout college and I worked in high school. And so my concept or my understanding of my professional like timeline, it's not really just post-grad. Like if someone asked me, how long have you been working? Like I would say I've been working since I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. um, and when I started at Google that I didn't know how long I would be there. And I, mm -hmm. I, I, I just jumped in. I didn't know if I wanted to work in recruiting and I was working at a tech company, but in a non-technical role. So I just, mm -hmm. I felt very um, not lost, but I wasn't as clear of like, well, where is this going to take me? You know, like, am I here for a good time or am I here for a long time? And um, it, it felt like there was some pressure to think of how can I take advantage of all these opportunities and maybe build something that that feels good. And again, it was like, I, I just wasn't sure. It was like learning a new organization, learning job ladders and functions and just exposure to so many options. And in many ways, I almost felt like, oh my gosh, I feel like I need to go back and do college all over again, mm -hmm. <laughs> because I would maybe find out an opportunity or a career pathway at Google. And then I would think, oh my gosh, like I'm not qualified for that. I don't have any of the experiences to do that. And it did make me question, like, did I do the right things in college? And I think I did, of course, because it still landed me at Google to begin with, but it really gave me some sort of existential crisis. I guess the breakthrough at some point was um, during my time at Google, I there, there was something internally called an explorership where you could apply for a different opportunity on a different team for six weeks. It was almost like an internal internship program. And I loved it because it just gave me the freedom to really explore and to just jump into another new arena and actually do it in a way where it didn't feel so precious. Like I knew that I would go back to like a team and to my old role. And so it I was able to just ask more open-ended questions and say, hey, can like, I just shadow you? Like, I don't know anything about this. And from there, it started to build, help me build like a, a point of view about myself and the work mm -hmm. that I liked. And then of course, when I went to grad school, I mean, I also just didn't know if I was going to go to grad school. I was really, again, yeah. fortunate that my scholarship covered it. Um, and in retrospect, like, I don't know if I would have gone to grad school, but it just felt like 
okay, like if I get in somewhere, then I'm going to go because why not? <laughs> um, and I think at the time it felt like, okay, I don't really know exactly what I want to do, but this won't hurt me in the grand scheme of things because I have, you know, the fortune of having it kind of fully covered and whatnot. Um, and of course, like I went into grad school with a certain perspective of like what I thought I was going to do. And then of course I did something completely different when I came out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, um, it's so, uh, humbling to kind of realize that everyone is going through a version of that right of like at every step they're just kind of making the best decision and seeing how it turns out but this is not something i think a lot of people talk about right like we live in an mm. age where you post only about your highlights um in your day-to-day yes. -day. like you just mentioned that you always see me out with my coworkers at happy hours <laughs> yeah uh-huh yeah <laughs> um you know no one's gonna put i mean some people do which is incredibly brave but you know it's not natural i guess for someone to be openly you know vulnerable and dissecting um all of you know what's going on in their brain as they go through their day-to-day -day lives on instagram right so you right. rarely hear about you know um these, these feelings of like just trying to figure it out. Um, and you you don't think that everyone else is going through that, but they probably they probably are. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like we are all just, it, this reminds me of, um, there, there used to be a woman that works, um, that worked at SYP and very accomplished. She was actually like our eldest employee and she had run her own business, sold it, was just very established. And I remember when we first started working together internally at SYP, we often talk about like, what's your superpower? Like, what's the special thing that you bring to the table, to a team, no matter what, especially when there's a crisis? I asked, I asked this woman, like, what's your superpower? And she was like, making shit up. <laughs> and that was like, so it was like revolutionary for me. I was like, what? I was like, that's what you're going to say your superpower is. But I, I saw it in real, I saw her in real time, literally making stuff up. Mm -hmm. And she said it with like, she just said it with no hesitation. Like she was like, yeah, of course. Like that's my superpower. I make stuff up. And that was really <laughs> like liberating, I guess, to, mm -hmm. to feel like, oh my gosh, you can be so accomplished. And I was maybe projecting like a lot of like, oh, you know, you have everything figured out. But she was being vulnerable, being brave, like as mm -hmm. you said, and just being like, nah, like we're just yeah. trying to take take in the information that we're presented with the time, maybe meet it with like a little bit of wisdom that we've built up. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, like we're just trying our best. Mm -hmm. And that's like all you can kind of do. And I, I loved hearing that at the time. And that was mm -hmm. right when I started. And so I needed to hear like a message like that, you know, in the beginning. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of this topic that we spoke about during our chit chat before I hit the record button. <laughs> In <Yeah>. retrospect, <laughs> I'm like, I should have just recorded from the very beginning. Um, but, you know, you mentioned this idea of in the past, you probably did a ton of things um, to try to make sure that you're like maximizing on those opportunities that you had. And then in the time, maybe in the past couple of years, I don't know when exactly you started feeling this way, but you mentioned a little bit about being more guarded with your time and kind of protecting it and not, and trying to ask yourself, like, is this actually something that interests me? And is it something that I want to do before fully, you know, committing the time to it? 
um, just mm. because maybe it looks good or on paper, it sounds like it would uh, be a good use of your time. But if you're not fully dedicated to the idea, maybe, you know, you don't have to uh, dedicate your, your time to it. And I think it kind of relates back to what she said as well, because I think it's, it goes back to the idea of like, we don't have to take ourselves too seriously, right? Like we only mm. have a finite amount of time. Maybe it's okay to like not do that extra volunteering gig and mm -hmm. spend time like lounging around watching Netflix. Like that, I think yes. that's totally okay. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned to you earlier, like I'm turning 30 this year. So like it, mm -hmm. it, it's very much making me reflect upon just like this closing this certain chapter of my 20s and, and looking ahead and and yeah, I, I definitely did a lot of stuff that I really, in retrospect, didn't really need to do. Not only because maybe I didn't really gain anything from it, but was I also adding any value to like the people I was doing it for? Probably like not, you know, not that I was doing a bad job, but you know, it, it makes me think like in college, like at NYU, I would, someone might say like, oh, I need help with this thing on, on like a little side hustle. It felt like every single NYU student had a side hustle. And of mm -hmm. course, like many people did. And a lot of them are really, really amazing. And I think I got kind of caught up in that, like wanting to have my own sort of entrepreneurial mm -hmm. thing. And if I couldn't, then I wanted to be adjacent to other people and say, oh my gosh, I contributed to the early stages of something. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it felt very tedious. Like it felt like I almost had to will myself to do it. And that I guess in, in some ways that that is kind of a superpower I have is that I can will myself to do things <laughs> that I really don't want to do. But I don't want to... I don't want to flex that superpower all the time. Mm, you know, there yeah. are time, there's a time and a place for it. Of course, in everyday work, sometimes you're going to have to do something you don't want to do. That's just the mm -hmm. nature of work. But otherwise, like if you have a choice, like don't, why put yourself in that position, you know? Yeah. And um, I've actually been doing quite a bit of reading about, of course, because of COVID, um, you know, everybody has been talking about for the past couple of months, like the future of work going into an office versus not the four day work week. Like, should we, should we just do that across the board and related to that conversation? I've read some really interesting um, like thought pieces about just like the art of doing nothing, mm -hmm. which I actually really appreciate. And it's mm -hmm. like, to me doing nothing might mean just watching something on the couch. But yeah. what I'm reading is actually like doing nothing might literally mean staring out the window and just like mm -hmm. not thinking about anything. And it's yeah. actually great because, it, you know, it's a break for your brain and just a break for like your soul in many ways. And that's mm -hmm. so vital, you know, like I'm about to go on a vacation mm -hmm. in the next couple of weeks. And the past couple, the like vacations I've taken, it almost feels like I can't rest because I'm just racing towards it. And then like the vacation starts and I'm still kind of wired with everything. And I would just so wish to be able to kind of just ease my way into everything moving forward, like to not feel like my back is up against the wall. And I think part of that is like flexing the the option to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. Or um, I'll have a think on it later and not to feel like you're also like pressured to answer in the moment. Because I think I also did that a lot when I was younger. People would say, oh, like, you know, you don't need to tell me now, but I would immediately say, of course I'll do it. Like, yes, mm -hmm. like no questions asked. And actually pausing is so precious and it's really vital, like for mm -hmm. everything. The idea of choice that you just mentioned, uh, for a good chunk of my life, I kind of saw 
if there was any good opportunity that sort of passed and came my way, I would always try to like latch onto it, right? Like whether it be a recruiter reaching out about this cool opportunity or, you know, a friend reaching out about, let's say their side hustle and asking if I want to kind of like do it with them. I would almost have a feeling. I'm like, I'm forced mm-hmm. to take it. I have to do it. Um, right. And it would stress me out and I wouldn't understand why, right? Like, cause in theory, having someone, having a recruiter reach out to you, that's a great thing. Um, especially if it's, you know, from a company that everyone else is pining for. But I would always have to kind of, after a couple of years out of college, now I've learned to sort of understand that like these external opportunities coming my way, they aren't things I have to do. They are things that I can do if I want to. Um, So trying to remind myself that I always have the choice and I don't always have to opt in directly to everything that comes my way has been incredibly healing, especially because, Mm. and I wonder if part of this feeling that like you have to take advantage of everything that comes your way is partly because of how we were brought up, um, like what you mentioned earlier. Yes. um, 1000%. Yeah. 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 This is, um, (laughs) to get personal, this is actually something that my therapist and I recently spoke about. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I think everything you said is so spot on, like, especially growing up, like seeing, let's say limited resources or seeing, seeing actually a lot of, let's say our parents, our caretakers overextending Mm -hmm. themselves, never taking anything for themselves, even though it wasn't an explicit message to us that we had to do everything. When you don't see any other sort of models of self-care or of people finding balance or, mm. you know, just um, stability, it, it, it start, it's really ingrained in us to kind of pick up the slack more or less mm. for everything. I see it in myself, not just within like back when I was a student, but I see it in myself in work, like my professional experiences, even my personal experiences. Um like at work or in organizations at school, of course, like if I didn't see people raise a hand or to volunteer for something, the, the only option at the time felt like, okay, I'll just do it. I'll just pick up the slack because no one else would do it. But as I've learned and as I've developed a little bit more like of my own like leadership style and working style, I've come to realize like in those contexts, that's actually not great because we're not setting a good example for other people. (laughs) Because, of course, like, then they're going to rely on you to just like, oh, Andy will do it, Jen will do it. And it's also not giving people the space or the permission to actually, like, maybe they maybe they feel paralyzed in the moment and they feel like they can't opt in. But by sort of pausing and giving space, it actually will will get people to, to lean in, hopefully. And then in my personal life, you know, like, I've realized that I am so quick to, like, pick up a lot of pieces like if I'm planning a trip with friends or even like with Sam like if we're in our apartment I'm just like I just jump into it and I'm like okay I'll just do everything because I don't have the patience for other people to do it but then I have to remind myself this is actually not good for me a lot of these things it's a shared responsibility everybody has a vested interest and so if they have a vested interest then they need to also like show that they have the capability and that they can Mm. practice a lot of their own agency and actions Mm. so this is so like very much Mm. resonates with me. Yeah. I think another point that you mentioned earlier 
was imposter syndrome. So I definitely want to yes. get into that as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess for you, when did you, um, how did this feeling of being an imposter show up or present itself in your, in your life? Was it um, more recently uh, or was it kind of during your college days? I would say imposter syndrome really first came up for me my freshman year of college. And there's something related to imposter syndrome, which is I just, I, I think the idea of not seeing yourself in like a group or in an experience, which I definitely had growing up. I wouldn't say that it's imposter syndrome because maybe I just didn't have the vocabulary for it, or maybe it's not exactly the same thing. But growing up, I never saw teachers that looked like me. I was often the, you know, pretty much the only Chinese Asian student in my K through 12 experience. Um, so I was kind of not used to, I mean, yeah, I was used to kind of being the only one in many ways. And so when I went to college, it actually wasn't that type of experience. I, I did see a lot of people that looked like me. But then what I came to realize was it was really more about the, the sort of life experiences leading up to college that I felt like I was not on the same sort of level as a lot of my peers. So during my freshman year of college, I was in a very small cohort in London. There was about 60 of us. And I remembered this uh, probably like the first week or so of college, you know, when you're just naturally getting to know your peers, like you're introducing yourselves, like, where are you from, et cetera. Someone started a conversation about like, oh, what do your parents do? Whew, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. Um, and I shared, you know, that my dad was retired and that my mom was a waitress. And that was in comparison to people who said, oh, like my dad owns an oil company or like mom, my mom is a, a diplomat or like, you know, what have you. And I just started to, I started to question myself of like, and it's not a, it's not like my classmates were like putting that on me. It was very much like just a lot of doubt was kind of um, coming through that conversation. So that, that definitely contributed to it. And then, Similarly, um, I had shared that I worked in high school and I, and actually someone in my class did sort of say like, you worked in high school, like, why would you do that? <laughs> and I remember being like, well, I didn't have a choice, you know, like that was just like my life circumstance. And then I think that was coupled with academics. Like I did not go to a super rigorous, like my high school is a lot better now, but the high school, the version of the high school that I went to was not rigorous. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I remember... I started to question myself, like when I wasn't maybe succeeding academically as much as I was accustomed to growing up, I was accustomed to kind of not trying <laughs> and doing really well. And then I got to college and people really, and it was all constructive feedback, you know, but I had a really hard time holding it. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like, how did I get into this place? I don't come from the same class as a lot of the people around me. Like we just have completely different life experiences and then coupled with like oh and, and this is not to say that I was like failing or anything like I was still doing well academically but it just didn't feel so good and I I had this moment where I thought oh my gosh I think not that I'm gonna drop out but I was like I'm gonna transfer out possibly maybe I should go back wow. and see if I get it can get into another school or go back to Florida whatever and it was actually my freshman advisor who was visiting at the time and we had kind of, we started to develop this close relationship 
starting with this moment where I told her that I was like, I don't know if this is like a fit for me. And she like literally sat me down on the floor and was like, we're, we're not going to have any of this. And she literally just like broke it down for me. She was like, she was like, okay, like what is giving you anxiety? And at the time, I think I felt a lot of unknowns around like how I would choose what to major in or like choose all the classes. Like I, I just felt like really lost. Um, and she said, okay, I'm going to break it down for you. If you want to major in English, these are how many classes you can take. That leaves room for XYZ and it leaves room for XYZ. And that just made me feel so much better. It was a very, very loose plan. Like she didn't tell me which classes to take. She was essentially just giving me my options and breaking it down in a way that I could comprehend. And that built a lot of confidence in me. And what built a lot of confidence in me was having someone in my corner within this context of like, okay, I can go to this person now and I can be very vulnerable and talk about these experiences. And that's not to say that it completely eliminated my imposter syndrome because then I moved to New York and then I met all the, all the other NYU students. And I was like, Oh, okay. This is mm -hmm. what this is like. Um, and I, I got imposter syndrome a couple of times through internships and whatnot. But then every time I just reminded myself of like, okay, I did it once before and I can do it again. I have always been able to find someone in my corner. I've been able to figure it out. Um, and um, yeah, that's kind of how I, how, how I dealt with it. Hmm. Finding someone in your corner. I've never kind of thought about that in relation to imposter syndrome. Um, I think the way that I've always managed my own imposter syndrome was, I mean, to be honest, just mulling over it and talking about it with friends. Um, yeah. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't think I've really actively tried to find people and have them be in my corner, if that makes sense. Like, I've never been like, mm. oh, I'm uncomfortable here. I would think a lot about like, why am I uncomfortable? What are some of the interactions that have made me feel that way? Um, what are some of my own kind of assumptions and thoughts that have made me feel this way? But I've never mm -hmm. really thought about, okay, well, actions wise, I was just like, okay, I, I can quit this job <laughs> and find right. a better place for me. And I can, you know, talk to a friend about it, uh, you know, for free therapy, but I've never thought about, okay, can I need to find someone within this organization or within this space to kind of be an advocate or help me think through how I can be uh, better accustomed to this environment. So I I find that really interesting that you were already so proactive about finding ways to overcome it. Mm, I yeah. think I think part of it was because I got to benefit from, I guess you could say, mentorship during high school. And the not that this person was like, and I think there's many formal and informal versions of mentorship. You know, one version of it is actually very unintentional and maybe really quick of like someone's just like, drop in some advice in a, in an informal way. And you might actually just decide in that moment to, to take it on. That was the case actually for me when, with my scholarship, um, when I was a freshman in high school, I was, I happened to be in the same classroom at the time with a senior who was a friend of, um, who was the sister of a friend of mine and she got the scholarship and I actually got to see her like receive the scholarship in real time. Like I saw her open up her email and process in real time that she was going to go to school for free. And I got to see just the shift in her emotions. And she actually then came up to me later um, in the day 
And she just said, you're going to apply for the scholarship. Like, promise me that you will apply for the scholarship when you're a senior. I didn't know her at all. Like, we had not really spoken. But that, like, I just stored that in my memory. I internalized it. And then when it came to be my senior year, I applied for the scholarship. Like, I just remembered that conversation. And I think it's always been my, and maybe it's also just because of because I'm an introvert and like a little bit of social anxiety, like I, in any situation, I always just try to gravitate towards someone else that I feel like, okay, this person's going to be my friend or this person yeah. is like going to be like, we're going to get through this thing together. I've done that with every school situation, every work situation. Um, it, and it's been, it's been really helpful. And I think oftentimes one conversation can just open up so many possibilities. So I don't know if I would call it imposter syndrome, but um when I first started at SYP, I was put on a project and I vaguely had a sense of like what I was supposed to do, but I really didn't, I, I didn't really know. I was still trying to remember everybody's name. I was trying to comprehend the work that we were doing. And I remember once I, I was working on a small team and I remember looking at my teammates and I said, I know that in my role as a program manager, I'm here, I should help you as, as my team. But I actually don't, I, I really just don't know how to help you. And I was really nervous about saying it, but it just got to a point where I just thought, okay, I can't mull over this on my own any longer. Like I'm not really finding a way out. So I said it and my teammates were just so like, they were like, of course you're, um, you're of course you don't know how to help us. You're brand new. Like, thank you for telling us. We'll tell you how you can help us. Mm. And it was so like not dramatic, you know? And it, I think it was a good lesson in that, like, okay, if I can just be a little bit vulnerable and just share where I'm at, it can actually just invite other people in and we can kind of figure it out together. Mm -hmm. I, I, well, I definitely agree. I mean, the idea of having of being honest about how you're feeling naturally just invites everyone else to kind of share a little bit more about them, or at least that's the hope, right? I mean, everyone's threshold for vulnerability is certainly different. You mentioned earlier about imposter syndrome kind of related to the question of class of, you know, what do your parents do? Are you comfortable sort of answering that question now? I think, yes. I still have a little bit of hesitation with it. Mm-hmm. And I have this hesitation actually from an experience from grad school where I was part of, they did this, um, they would do the speaker series um, two times a year and it was called Double Take, stories that like make you think twice. And a lot of it was actually people sharing things that you would just otherwise really not know about them. Mm-hmm. And um, I participated in the first gathering fall of my master's. And I told a story about essentially like the fact that I worked when I was in high school, you know, and that I, I worked like a full-time job pretty much like logging almost 40 hours a week while going to school to like support myself and my family. And I, I was a little burnt by that experience in two ways. One, I learned that the speaker series, it was going to be in front of two, like 200, 250 people in real life. So that was already daunting enough. And then they told us that right before that it was also going to be on Facebook live, like streamed on Facebook live. And they didn't tell us that before. Mm -hmm. And so I felt a little like icky about this institution kind of broadcasting our stories. And a lot of my story, like 
it's it's a part of my life and in some way i some ways yeah it, it, it's very challenging and other folks shared very like traumatic like experiences mm-hmm. from their life so it felt really icky to do that but then afterwards did it open up some conversation with people yes and in other ways like it opened up conversations i wasn't expecting so i had a classmate of mine come up to me and she said your story really resonated with me like i had a summer job when i was in high school <laughs> and in reaction i kind of just thought that's actually not the same thing like <laughs> the story I told was not like, yes, you may have worked as well, but like, and it's not about holding like the two experiences like side by side, but I was like, that's actually not the same thing. So like, (laughs) thank you for the nice gesture, but like, it didn't make me feel great. And I actually went to class right after giving this like very emotional talk. And like Mm -hmm. my professor in my class, like didn't really like acknowledge it or receive it. And it's just made me question of like, I can feel as comfortable as I want telling a story about myself but I do still have hesitation about whether the audience or the people involved can actually hold the story. Mm. Um, And we will occasionally do a speaker series at my company. And sometimes people will tell funny stories or really random things. And other times people tell really, really personal stories. And I've always been on the fence of saying something. And I think in many ways I would maybe talk about this fact of growing up like low income, my parents working up myself working, but I, I, I just, I, I can't but help wonder, like, what's the value of me going through this exercise, opening up myself when this audience actually might not be able to hold it? And like, mm. that's not like, I'm not doing this for them. Like, if anything, I'm going to do it for myself. And like, it it wouldn't feel so great sometimes. Mm. So I, I guess the first hurdle is feeling comfortable with owning your story first, right? Feeling comfortable with acknowledging that this is where you come from and this is who you are. But I guess the second sort of milestone after that is to let yourself be selective of the audience and the environment in which you choose to share it with. Right. Mm, Um, Yes. Because yeah, we're not obligated to share that with, with anybody, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, sharing ourselves doesn't have to always take place in like a big like amphitheater or like <laughs> yeah. some sort of like company-wide forum it's, it's actually like mm-hmm. these like one-on-one interactions yeah. and I will yeah I, I think um I've noticed in the past couple of years of like maybe I'll share something one-off and I will be kind of pleasantly surprised that people are can hold it or that maybe they're like mm-hmm. really inquisitive about it and like they're really authentic with it. And I think that's maybe just because of people having more exposure to different types of stories as well. It's like building like the appetite and the acceptance of it. So that I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of helpful as well. Uh, Building the appetite for it. That's a great way to to phrase it. I mean, I had imposter syndrome this entire time thinking about whether or not to create a podcast, right? Because Mm. part of it is like, if I have it centered around the first generation to be born or raised in a new country that already naturally excludes a significant amount of the audience base who listens to podcasts. Um, And so then I was kind of thinking about like, Oh, is there a point in doing this? Um, You know, who am I to kind of start a podcast about this? Right. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, one, it was like personal for me to to have a space where I can share my story and I can invite others to share theirs if they, um, you know, are interested in doing so in the hopes that, you know, 
if someone were to listen to it, one, maybe they can resonate with it. And then even if they don't have a direct experience with whatever we're talking about, at least if they're curious, it could, you know, add to their understanding of certain experiences that maybe before they didn't have. Um, yes. So yeah, that's a good point. I'm so glad that you've pursued it. Um, it's just, it's, it's really important um, to highlight um, these stories and, and different experiences. Um, mm -hmm. It's really beneficial for wh whomever the audience is mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah. So I guess the last question now of this episode, and I would love it if you would, you know, be down to join another episode in the future and we can talk about some other interesting topics. Um, reflecting on your 20s so far, since you mentioned the big three zero is coming, um, what's one thing that you wish you could have told your younger self? Mm. One thing that comes to mind is like slow down. Mm -hmm. I think that feels really salient to me. Um, I'm one of my mentors um, often talks about doing slow work as in like be real as like intentional and thoughtful as you can. And like, yes, there will be deadlines or you can set deadlines, mm -hmm. but don't try to rush it just for the sake of like getting it done. Like let it like kind of pan out. And I so wish I would have done that a little bit more um, in my twenties. Like it just felt like I never took a break. You know, mm -hmm. I rushed, I immediately rushed, into the next thing and something that I'm learning is like when something's done there's almost there's a necessary period for reflection and depending on the circumstances maybe you need to mourn the experience because mm -hmm. maybe the experience actually was really really amazing and now it's like you have to take time to really recognize how like awesome it was and that it's not going to continue and to like mm -hmm. pull out the lessons from it um and just like kind of to digest it a little bit yeah um and I so wish I did that um, because thankfully it has not happened to me in a very long time. But I, I did have a, an occasion or two in college where I actually had a panic attack because I was just so stressed because I was trying to do so much. And um, it's really unfortunate because that just meant that I wasn't really showing up in the way I wanted to. And it also meant that I wasn't making time for like my friends just to like have dinner or to like just mm -hmm. catch up with each other. Um, I think that's really important. So just like slowing down and kind of just taking it as it comes. Um, yeah, I think that's what comes to mind. I love it. So I hope your 30s will be filled with more slowing down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> I definitely feel a lot better with the fact that I already take a lot of time for myself. <laughs> I don't feel yes. as guilty for taking all the time I need. Um it's definitely important to remember that slowing down has its benefits, right? And it's not just about, you know, collecting. I know you definitely didn't, you know, at least in the past couple of years, I don't think you were collecting experiences just for the sake of having it as a resume virtue. But I do yep. think that a lot of, you know, folks with our backgrounds um, tend to kind of feel like they have to do that. So I think mm -hmm. it's, it's always great to kind of remind ourselves that like, no, you always have a choice and you can choose to slow down. Yeah. Yes. Um, it makes me think of another way to phrase it is sometimes, you know, we have to slow down in order to speed up. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really great reminder of like, I mentioned earlier, like I'm taking vacation and like, yes. I 
used to feel guilty about taking time off. And now I'm like, mm-hmm. when, like, I'm always trying to plan the vacation and thinking mm-hmm. of like really structuring it so that it's actually relaxing and that I yeah. get to have fun. Um, and I don't know if you're big on TikTok, but mm-hmm. a lot of um, what's on my For You page right now is a lot of people, um, there's like a, I don't know if it's a real trend, but people kind of recording videos and they'll just say Sunday reset. And it's literally, it's very calming. It's people like tidying up their apartment, cleaning, just, Mm -hmm. it's like them just trying to say, okay, I had a week and now this is a moment to kind of like put things back into place a little bit for the next week ahead. Mm. And, um, that's actually what I try to do. Like when I'm stressed, like when I'm stressed, I immediately focus on what do I have control of? And actually more often than not, it's cleaning. (laughs) And so if I'm feeling like I'm in a rut or like I'm kind of stuck. I just, I'll tidy up a little bit. And it, it, it almost just like makes me feel brand new all over again. I love it. And I think the the part about um, taking breaks, taking vacation, like vacation is one break. And then you also mentioned like you never took a, you never took time off. You just went from one thing to the next. I'm assuming you meant like from job to grad school, then to job again. Yeah. Or even like day to day. Yeah. I would go from class <laughs> to internship to club meeting sometimes like forgetting like to eat you know and then Mm -hmm. i would like go to the go to bopes oh my god i haven't said bopes in so long (laughs) like i would go i would go to library and like study all night and then i would go to like a frat part like i just and even though that was fun you know i just didn't take time to just like breathe and just Mm -hmm. be like okay like that thing is done and now i'm gonna do the next thing yeah yeah i think i'm gonna take your advice um for sure. I, I, as you were speaking, kind of thinking about like the idea of taking time off, you know, um, in general after, uh, you know, Hong Kong or whatnot, you know, cause I've never taken a break. Actually, my longest break was when I quit my job at Amex to then come to Hong Kong. Um, mm. and I had to quarantine for two weeks. So it wasn't even out of my own choice. <laughs> yep. um, but yeah, like I think, the idea of taking time off next um, before whatever, you know, thing I do after after Hong Kong seems really appealing, but also seems quite scary, right? Because like we mentioned, I don't think we are accustomed to taking breaks <laughs> or it feels like a scary, you know, financial thing to do to not yes. have income guaranteed for yes. a period of time. But maybe yeah. it's something that, you know, looking back, if I didn't do it, I would not, I don't know if regret, I don't think I would regret it, but yeah, maybe it's something I would have wanted to do looking back. So maybe I should Mm. do that. Yes. I'm so excited for you to pursue it and for me to follow (laughs) along. (laughs) Yes. Um, Thank you so much. I know we've, you know, been chit-chatting. This is like the first conversation we've had actually in a couple of years. And it's really Mm. nice, like I I mentioned earlier, to kind of speak with a friend from like a a, an era that has sort of passed, right? Like college was Mm. a while ago. But it's really nice to reconnect because it sort of reminds you like of how far you've come um, for the both of us. So yeah, I just wanted to thank you for being so honest um, with your story as well, because I know it's not something that 
always comes easy, you know, to be able to share not the highlight reels and you and for sure you have a lot of like resume virtues to list off if you wanted to. Um, but instead you came on and you talked about some of the more challenging parts of the past couple of years. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Thank you, Jen. So grateful that you reached out. And likewise, like every time we talk, you know, it's like we're family, even though we don't yeah. <laughs> speak to each other all that often. Like it just, we, we, we jump right back in. Yes. Um, so thank you for yeah. having me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And for those of you listening, thank you so much. If any of this resonated with you, I hope you would subscribe and share it with anyone who you think would resonate with it as well. Bye. Thank you.